never feels that you can't say, I don't know, because there's nothing worse than trying to pretend that you know when you don't know, because it just ends up becoming, we, we know when you don't know, essentially. It needs all the things. Give it all the things. Oh, perfect. You nailed it. You can't bend physics. What you can do is write better software. And you're doing MPLS changes or BDP changes. They may God be with you, right? I, I always feel like I'm just a little fish in a sea of big fish. I've got a nested six-node vSAN. Aw, guys. People you know, quite often think that they don't have anything to bring to the table when they absolutely do. Everybody should. Anybody in IT that skips the phone stuff, it just hasn't earned it. Okay, I lied. I have one more question. On demand. Correct. Welcome to GigaCast, episode 38 for Friday, June 5th, live to tape from somewhere in Indiana. I'm Britton Johnson. And live from my home office, I'm Tony Reeves. Tony, how are you? Good. How you doing, my friend that is now several states it's, farther away? It's like the other side of the coin, man. I mean, Indiana, is, is as far as it is not that far away from Wisconsin, it's from Dane County, Wisconsin, where I was before. It's like the upper op. It's like... It's like bizarro world a little bit. <laughs> You're also in the Eastern time zone. Yeah, that too. That takes some getting used to for sure. Um, but it's good. I mean, the the move went as well, I guess, as can be expected. Um, and, I, and I've been telling everybody who asks, like, how it's been going. I'm like, I've, I've been saying, like, you know, nobody ever wants to help someone move. But right. during the middle of a global pandemic, no one really wants to help you move. <laughs> yeah, you have zero chance. And they all have a really good excuse. <laughs> I was just like, you know, and I was, and I was, and I was asking one of the, my, you know, VMware cohorts who's down here, uh, one of my account execs, I'm like, hey, you know, hey, do you know anybody who might help me? And he's just like, dude, I don't even think you want anybody to come help you. <laughs> yeah. like, you don't want them touching your stuff. And I'm like, dang it, that's actually a really good point. <laughs> so, yeah. so you made several trips back yeah. and forth already. So we, I ended up buying a used pickup truck um, to kind of help with this process. And... You're, you you gave me nonstop grief about it, but I I picked up a uh, a, a two thousand seven Honda Ridgeline, um, which I love by the way, and it's a total beater truck. Um, so you know I only paid like a few grand for it. I mean this thing just you know, it's that's a beater. A, yeah, it's got one hundred and forty four thousand miles on it. Um, oh, the picture you showed me it looked a lot nicer than yeah, that. Yeah, it shows better in the picture than it does in person. Um, but but you know everything works on it and. I mean, the thing is, it's a Honda, so it's rock solid. And mm -hmm. I mean, I've I've haul. I had we we did the move with um one uh, one big twenty two foot U haul truck, and then I hauled down separately two six by twelve U haul trailer loads full. And we had to do this in wow. stages, and yeah. um just to break it up. And then just you know, we've been between my wife's car and, and the truck, we've we've still been doing other smaller loads of stuff. I mean, it's just, this is the the biggest problem with all of this is living in one spot for 14 years, not purging as much stuff as we probably should have <laughs> or could have. Like, we wanted to have a rummage sale in the middle of this, but you can't do that in the middle of Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, it's just like, gosh. And so, so we're here for the most part. We have an offer, uh, an accepted offer on our house in Wisconsin. It closes Congrats. in June here yet. So fingers crossed that that all works out. Um, and then, yeah, we'll be... As by the end of this month, we are full on Indianans. Um, um, I'm, I'm reticent to say that I'm a Hoosier because I'm not born from Indiana. So, um, I'll probably always be a Badger at heart. But 
Well, the other nice thing too, is you already know, you know, you've got coworkers down there and you also know a lot of the uh, NDV muck folks too, like right. Ken and Lindy and Craig. So that's good. Yeah. So at some point when we're allowed to have social gatherings, we'll all get together down here, but um, yeah, it's uh, and that's been, that's been a hard part of the process too. Is just like, you know, yeah, we, we don't really, we, we, we know we can't, we, we can't find a church or go to a church and meet people like we would normally. We can't, you know, talk to our neighbors hardly. I mean, it's just been like, here's been the, this has been the biggest struggle since moving in this house is ants. There's these Ooh. little tiny black ants that have showed up and I'm, I'm that like, I actually found some of them in my car the other day. I'm just like, wow, oh my gosh. So that's slightly a, warmer climate. I don't, know. I don't know what it is. Apparently this might be a thing down here, but so I've actually had to call the exterminator people and they're coming on Monday. Um, it's just like I was giving a presentation for work and I was starting to get into my NSX talk and all of a sudden I look on my screen and there's an ant crawling up my monitor. <laughs> like, nice. Like That's not distracting exactly. at all. <laughs> I'm just, like, what is he doing up here? There's no food up here or anything, first of all. But so it's just, yeah. So that's what's been going on mostly with me. The other update that I have, uh, the V Brown Bag series I did with Ken Nelbone, um, is fully up on V Brown Bag, all four episodes. I need, still need to do one more NSX 3.0 update episode, but that's, you know, now that I've got some other stuff out of the way, I can try to plan that out. Um, so look nice. at look at the, the V Brown Bag YouTube channel for that whole NSX series. Um, and then on Monday, it's been a good week for me. I passed my VCP NV 2020 on Monday. Congrats. That was, that was good. Um, and then just yesterday, uh, uh, another colleague of ours, uh, Francis Wong, she's been looking for um, NSXT study resources, and she just put out a really good uh, VCP NV 2020 study guide. Um, so check out Francis Wong on Twitter for that. Um, and then, you know, so if you're, if, you're at, if you're still going after the VCP NV specifically, um, you know, check out our study guide, check out the V Brown bag. Um, lots of good information coming. Tony, what's been happening with you? How's the new job? Uh, settling in, starting to get some more intros with customers, getting a little bit more familiar with the processes, kind of switching over from the ACIBU. So obviously it's a little bit different over here on the side, the core side, but, uh, starting to find my stride a little bit and, uh, building some relationships. So that, that, that's good. Cool. Um, the other thing is uh, just kind of, you know, Wisconsin's opened up a little bit, starting to hang out with neighbors a little bit more, had a really good uh, V community uh, get together yesterday with just a couple of folks at uh, my friend Donnie Lang's house over on the other side of town. And we got together and did some grilling and smoking and um, smoking, smoking wings. Smoking meats. Yeah, smoking meats. <laughs> and um, so that was fun. I was going to say, uh, has it been that stressful, Tony? You picked up smoking during the pandemic? Yeah, yeah no chance. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was really good to to hang out with some people in person. Uh, it was really cool to do that. So why don't we uh, take a moment to introduce our guest? Yeah. Uh, so a while back, uh, you know, through the, you know, typical Twitter exchanges of things, I started chatting with Mr. Simon Long, and he needed a... Uh, an all-star car, V all-star card of himself. And I happened to have a bunch. And so I offered to mail him one and I said, Hey, I'll, I'll mail you one as long as you come on the podcast. And he's like, yes, mate, let's do it. So that's my really bad British impression of you. <laughs> Simon, welcome to wow. the show. Thank you. That's, that's, uh, yeah, you're kind of getting there. You need to work on a little bit more. Well, you know, with the name, yes. with the name Britain, everybody just automatically assumes that I'm British. 
So yeah, that's true. It was spelled differently though. So you I know, can always use that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks but, for having me guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, I know it's been, it's, it's really good. So we la the last, uh, person we had from Datrium on the show, um, was Mr. Andre Leibovich or Leibovici, however you say his last name. I can never remember. Um, he, he gave us, this was a couple, almost two years ago, I think now. Um, mm -hmm. he gave us almost a, three years ago, a, a, a very good overview, deep dive at that point of what Datrium was. It was kind of early days for Datrium. Um, so yeah. I'm interested to see like, you know, what's happened since then, you know, where you guys have gone. And I, we've, we've talked a little bit about some of the cloud scale stuff with Amazon and, you know, VMC and AWS. Um, so, yeah. so I'm curious, you know, what, what's happening, but why don't you, first of all, introduce us to yourself, um, who you are, what you do, what you like to do, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. So as you said, Simon Long, um, I'm an architect of some description uh, at Datrium. I'm in the office of the CTO. If uh, That's the, the team I'm under, but essentially we get involved in everything because Datrium is a startup, quite a small company at the moment, still around uh, less than 200 employees. So you, you pretty much get pulled into different directions depending on what needs to be done at that time. So we do, I do a lot of tech marketing, like writing white papers, We'll do some performance testing. I'll work with some of the engineers to try and improve the products, give them feedback on products, help with the UI. Oh, occasionally some salesy things, but apparently they always tell me that everyone's in sales, but I try and steer clear of the sales <laughs> side of things. Right. Um, so it's fun because every day is different, really. There's always so many little different things to get involved in. And that you, you're kind of not siloed into doing one thing only. Everyone always appreciates feedback and thoughts that you can kind of give across the business. So it's quite a good way to get involved in lots of different pieces uh, within the business. So yeah, it's, it's fun. I've been there almost two years. It'll be two years in July. So it's and flown by. It really has flown by. And prior to that, you were at VMware, right? I was at VMware for uh, on and off for eight years prior to that. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, I was over at in EMEA for professional services for two to three years mm -hmm. and then left for six months and then came back over here in Palo Alto office and working for kind of internal IT at VMware running their VDI service within, within VMware. So yeah, I was at VMware for a long time. Cool. Yeah. And that's where we first got introduced is when you were still on the VMware side before we, before Britain and I came on board to VMware. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was fun times. It was just nice to, it's, it's nice to do something different, right? You've been, mm -hmm. you go, you're in a company for a long period of time. Sometimes you get a bit stale and you want a new challenge. So it's like, okay, well, I haven't fallen far from the tree, so to speak. We're still very closely integrated with VMware right. and VMware solutions. So it's not like I've gone and done something completely different. Like I'd say the pretty much almost a hundred percent of Datrium customers are VMware customers. So the yeah. skills that I have gained from being a VMware translates on quite nicely to what, what I do at Datrium, yeah. So not awesome. not that long ago, we had Paul Mancuso on, who was our first VCDX on the show. But now you can give us the, the honor of being the first double VCDX on the show. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> what I'm I'm curious about the VCDX as, as a construct itself, but, but I'm also, I mean, it's a lot of work to do one. What would make somebody crazy enough to try to do it twice? Well... <laughs> it's a nice well, way of saying like I, you know yeah so so basically what i did there is instead of working hard i worked smart and ah, when okay. i when i got my first bcdx i actually submitted a a desktop design but this was before the days of different 
um, tracks. So yeah. if I basically applied for my DCV, which is the data center virtualization using a desktop design. Yeah. And I was obviously was successful there. And there was no reason why I couldn't submit the same design again for the desktop uh, BCDX. That is working. So, base, right. so basically it's two, two BCDXs in, See, within the same design. That's, the, that, that's an insider tip right there. So, so effectively, <laughs> once I get my VCAP out of the way, I could come up with an NV design and pair it with a DCV design. And and if yeah. I really want to kill myself, I could do it. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure that I mean that this was a long time ago. I I literally this morning I think it was got a Facebook re uh, reminder of actually receiving the email that I passed. So six years today, I think. Oh wow! I got Congratulations. Saying something like that, which is, but I'm I'm pretty sure that that is the case. There's no reason why you can't use the same design for two different tracks and. And as well with VCDX, it's normally if you've passed it once, you don't have to re-defend again. Right. You just have to do a, like an hour interview where you get asked kind of higher level questions to make sure that the design is yours and you know what the design is all about rather than having to go through the whole stages of during the defense again. So, I mean, having one is a big enough achievement. If you want to do more, it's, it's just mostly a case of do you have time to create additional designs for the different tracks. So if you were, if you did a DCV and it didn't really necessarily have a lot of NSX in it, you'd maybe have to then go and create a new design for NV, which in itself is just a lot of work creating all the documentation that goes with that. Right. So then, you know, I, I know there's somewhere, someone out there, we've got all four of them, which is amazing. There's just, you know, after my, my manager says to me, so when are you going to go for your third? I said, <laughs> it's just, I said, I'm probably not. I said, why not? I said, because it's just not worth the extra work, to be right, honest. Right, it's right. just a lot of extra work, yeah. really. And I think if you've been through it once before, you kind of know the process and you understand what you need to know at that point. I don't know if you would actually get any added benefit on doing multiples, really, other than maybe if you wanted to learn a new technology to a, a really high level or in, in detail, then you could use that as, as a way of doing it. But yeah, it's... it's you don't get a lot of extra from having multiples, I don't think, in terms of skills. Yeah, a, a long time ago, because I, I have my VCIX for NSX for vSphere, and that qualified me potentially to be able to take the VCDX NV, but I'd have to do it with a vSphere design, which is basically going away. So, you know, I, 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 there was one morning at like 2 in the morning, I was looking at the application because I couldn't sleep for some reason. And, you know, like, no, there's, there's a quote out there that nothing good happens after 2 a.m. So I, I decided to <laughs> just, <true. laughs> yeah. So I'm like, you know what? This is not a good place or time to be making this decision right now. So yeah, put that on pause. Well, it's yeah. good to know that you don't have to fully, you know, fly out to Palo Alto and redefend for the multiple yeah. tracks. That, that, yeah. Saves a lot of time and money and effort there too. Uh, obviously, still have to do all the back end work, but some of the nervousness of defending in front of a panel, I'm sure, goes away a little bit there. Right. Well, and I, I yeah, possibly. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think if you'd done it once, the second time wouldn't be as bad anyway, because you, you'd been through it all and you've kind of you understand the whole process. I think you'd be a lot more relaxed second time. I think for me, it, the actual creating the documentation set would probably be more stressful or more work than actually going and defending again mm -hmm. if someone said to me if you want to go and just chat to a panel of people and you can get your third one i would much rather do that than trying to create a whole new design again unless you're an architect that is 
that has a design for a customer that you can just use again. It's, it's a lot of work to try and come up with a design and put constraints to it and then document everything out. It's a lot, it's a lot of work. Yeah, I bet. Wait, well, well, while we're on it, I mean, you, you guys, you you run a podcast called the VCDX podcast. Um, yes. So I'm curious, you've been doing it for a little while now, it looks like. Um, it's about a year. Yeah. yeah. Just a little over a year. I mean, I haven't been doing the episodes as frequently as I would have liked. Yeah, as doing, you guys know, it's, yeah. it's, it's quite, it's, it's a lot of work doing podcasts, yeah. like trying to think about what do you want to talk about? What topics you want to cover? Finding someone who will come on the podcast with you to discuss it, trying to schedule their time in with yours to make sure you fit and obviously time zones and people's work schedules. And then once you've done the recording, trying to edit it all and get it all out and published. And it's, it's, it's a lot more work than I thought it was going to be yeah. when I first took on it. I get around that for this show, by just not editing it. So, well, you can do that. <laughs> we can definitely do that. But yeah. But I'm, I, I'm curious to so like, what, what's the, what, you know, what, what made you want to do it? And you know, what's the overall goal? I think it was a combination of things. Like, obviously, I wanted to get more information out there about the BCDX. There was a lot of information in the public domain that wasn't necessarily true. Because um, you have a lot of people that will go and do a BCDX defense, and they'll pass or fail, whichever. But they only typically do it once. So they only get to see it the one time. And they come out of their and they offer their advice to people based on their one experience. And sometimes that advice isn't necessarily what you would expect or what we see as panelists over multiple VCDXs, if, if that's if that's kind of... So what I wanted to do is try and expel some of the myths that are out there that people have kind of been spreading around in all good faith because that's what they saw or that's their experience, but not... And I wanted to try and make... Try and find an easier way of getting that information out there. So I blog, not as regularly as I used to, but sometimes I find that people don't necessarily have the time to go and read blogs unless they're really interested in that one particular topic. So I thought, well, I've always been interested in maybe doing a podcast just to try it out and see what it's like. I listen to a lot of podcasts and myself. So I thought, well, I why not put two and two together to create a podcast space on the BCDX program and try and try and drum up a bit more interest and dispel some myths and give some advice and get people on the, on the podcast to, to help people that are considering going for it in the future. I, mean, it, 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 I think it's just an, one of those uh, intimidating points of technology, you know, like it's, it's, you know, the most, that's the highest level certification you can get with VMware. I mean, it's, you know, it's almost, it, it's the same thing from, you know, all the, every other technology vendor who has those high level certifications. It's just, you know, the, the barrier to entry is pretty high. Um, yeah. And and I think I think the way that VMware does it, where you know, yeah, you're in front of these panel of experts. I mean, that's I think it's designed to be intimidating, um, a little bit from that aspect. At least from the outside in, that's what it looks like. Yeah, I think I think it depends on how you look at it. Yes, it definitely can be intimidating, and most people do get intimidated by it. But it's not that different to to being a consultant. So when I was a professional services consultant, there would be regular times I would say, okay, we've got to go and do it. At, a horizon design for this customer it's a three-month engagement engagement kind of like the first day you arrive on site you're new you don't know anyone and you're sitting down and there's a whole big meeting room full of people and you're kind of leading that conversation asking them about what we're trying to achieve here it's probably a similar similar situation to that really so if you're a consultant and you're used to talking to customers regularly and asking questions to find out what they're trying to achieve from from the project 
it's a very similar situation and you should, should reason, be reasonably comfortable with that. But whereas if you're just more of an architect that's just worked for a company and, and you have a big infrastructure, because you don't necessarily have to go out and ask those questions of customers because you your internal business is the customer and you kind of know what they need, mm-hmm. that part of the process can becoming, become quite uncomfortable for people. So yeah. it's not necessarily the technical side. I think most people are okay with the technical side. It's more of the consulting side that is more difficult for a lot of people. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Yeah, yeah and I it, see that. And I think, yeah, like even even like from me being a consultant prior to this, I mean, I get a little bit of that, um, where I think it comes a moment where those those kinds of moments come down to you know, yeah, you just have to know your stuff, um, and and there you know a lot of especially you know it's, you know the C suite people who like to ask questions about how stuff works. I mean, as long as you are you know clear and confident in your answers and you really do know, know your product and you know, your solution, you know, your design, um, you know, they'll, they'll test you on some of the stuff, but you know, they're, they, they don't try to throw in some of these technical zingers, you know, to try to throw you off track. Um, yeah, they're not interested in the nerd knobs. They're more interested in business value and right. objectives, but yeah, but, but I guess that that's the, the thing that I'm wondering, like, you know, it is, when you're doing a panel defense, you as a panelist, and when you're, you know, what 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 are the panelists' kind of agenda and how they um, ask questions? Like, is it to try to throw somebody off or to just test their level of knowledge? Or, like, where, what's the, is, is there a strategy that they come to the, to, the, to the table with? I don't necessarily think, I mean, the, the strategy is to score the candidate, right? So you need to be able to ask the questions however way you want to ask the questions to get the information back so you can score the candidates effectively. So we may ask tough questions or questions about the design to one, make sure that the person understands why they chose that kind of, let's say, feature within the design or they decided to turn on that, click that button to enable HA or whatever it is. Because there'll be times that people may have put this in the document, but they don't actually know why they've done it. So we have to ask questions of the person to make sure that they understand why they did it and they can relate to us. So uh, telling us why they put that in the design because they may, they may have got the design from someone else. So we have to obviously find that out, but there's never been a time, especially in my case where I've asked a question to try and trip someone up. It's always this case of if you look at their storage design, for example, and it's really good and solid, we'll ask them some questions about the storage design to make sure that, they designed it and they understand why it and if we want to try and help score them higher we'll ask them more complex questions about storage to try and see to what level we can get them to because we ultimately want to mark them as high as possible but if we don't ask them the complicated questions we don't know how far yeah. their knowledge expands yeah that, that, i guess that's the thing that i've i've been fearful of in, in attempting some sort some of advanced type of a certification like that is getting in a room with people who are obviously smarter than me <laughs> and looking like a fool because you know yeah you hit some area that's outside of what i'm even trying to talk about and then you know but there, that's there fine we, we don't expect you to know all of it okay. i mean if you do you'll be, end up with like a great score but ultimately you'll end up with just a vcdx at the end of it so there's <laughs> you know you don't we don't expect you to know everything about everything we obviously expect you to know the majority or hopefully everything within your design but maybe not much not as much past that if you do then great we'll mark you higher Okay. Um, 
But don't get me wrong. I, I can remember in my defense, I was asked a question about NUMA or I mentioned the word NUMA and I think one of the panelists said, oh, so explain how that works. And I was just like, <laughs> I drew a blank at that time. And I remember, I remember saying to them, Frank Denneman's going to kill me, but I can't, re- I, at the moment I've gone blank. And they just said, okay, that's fine. And they, they kind of moved off in another direction. Right? So, so it's not like if you don't know something, you're automatically going to fail at any point. Yeah. They just want to, they just want to understand the, what level you're at in specific areas of the design. So never feel f- that you can't say, I don't know, because there's nothing worse than trying to pretend that you know when you don't know, because it just ends up becoming, we, we know when you don't know, essentially. So yeah, it's uh, just, if you don't know, just say that I don't know, and you can spend time elsewhere in the design of on areas that you do know. I saw a little bit of that, um, you know, the past couple of years I've watched uh, Virtual Design Master with Eric Wright. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Melissa Palmer and some of the stuff that they're doing and, and the way they have their panelists interact and ask some of the questions. I would assume from what you're telling me, it sounds like it's a, a very similar process, you know, being analytical, trying to make sure they understand it and try to understand why they made the choices they made to make sure they understand why they made the choices that they yeah. made and, and kind of make sure it's relevant and going to provide value. So I would say, yeah. I don't know if they're doing that series anymore, but that was, I was kind of, I think a good insight into some of those processes. Yeah. I think they did it a couple of months back, I okay. think. Um, yeah. But I mean, ultimately there's so much that can go into a large design. So many different mm-hmm. things that has to be considered that you just want to make sure that you're considering everything and not just saying, okay, well, I've done this before in another design. I'm just going to do the same here. And it's like, well, okay. So why did you do that? What business requirement helped you make that decision? Because ultimately what you need to do is understand what the customer is trying to achieve and create a design that meets the business needs, right? Mm -hmm. So just going into design and saying, I'm going to do N plus one, they say, well, why? Which business requirement has said that you need to have N plus one, right? So it should be, okay, normally is the customer requires this SLA for availability, so we're going to use N plus one or N plus two or whatever it may be to help the, the business meet the SLAs of 99.9% or whatever it is. So you always need to make decisions based on what the business is trying to do rather than just the decision because uh, that's what you normally do on a design. You know, I normally turn on DRS and, and change, change how regularly we change the DNS settings and things like that. But that's not just saying that's all you always do is not a good answer. It's like, no, this is what the business wants to try and achieve. And by setting this or designing like this is how we can help them achieve that goal. Yeah. And I think that completely makes sense. If you're, you're just doing something because that's the way you've always done it. That's not a good enough reason. That's not justifiable. Not really. I mean, even though it might be the right thing to do, right. But it's might you've got to try and you've got to have a better reason for doing it. Right. It's, yeah. So, so a lot of the time it's just trying to find out why did you do these things that you've done? And sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes you look at them and think, well, okay, well, I'm looking at the business requirements here and I don't see any reason why you would have done that, even though it makes sense to do that. Why did you do that? So it's just trying to understand that process. And that's where it kind of comes in. So the consultancy comes in is by asking the questions of the customer and then thinking, okay, so we need to meet that SLA or that RPO, RTO, and then designing accordingly to based on that requirement from the customer. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. I, I do enjoy the VCDX like, program itself. I've been involved with it since, since I passed as a panelist and helped them work on some of the scoring and the, when we change the versionings of the, 
of the the different VC, uh, VCDXs that we offer as well. I've been involved in that as well. So it's it's uh, I enjoy I enjoy the process. It's, it's stressful going through it as the, as a candidate, but I think it helps people grow as as consultants and architects as well. So it's it's a it's a good thing I think. Yeah, and it's really cool of you to you know pay it forward back to the community and help others and, and be a part of the process going forward too. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what most of us in the community try and do, right? We, we, exactly. we all received, we've all received stuff from the community in the past and it's like, well, this is my turn to try and give something back and help people out. So hopefully it does that. Um, normally if you don't receive feedback, it's normally a good sign. That's why I take it. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was fun. It's just a fun thing to do. I just need to, trying to be a bit more regular on it. I used to try and do it every two weeks and then it became every month. And now it's just like, uh, maybe every month and a half, maybe or something like that. I mean, yeah. It's the same thing yeah. here. I mean, we, we've tried to do every month, but you know, things come up and life happens and people move yeah. across States and yeah, delay well, the yeah. show, you know? Oh yeah. Sure. Blame it on me. <laughs> oh boy. I so, Let's let's switch gears here again. Um, let's kind of get back on our, our talk track if we if you want to uh, here. Can you kind of give us an update, just a general overview uh, with Daytream and kind of what's happening with you guys today? What's new? What's happening? Yeah. yeah so late last year, we brought out a service um, that we call Disaster Recovery as a Service, mm-hmm. which, as you imagine, is Disaster Recovery as a Service. It's a service provided by Daytream, which allows our customers to fail over to VMware Cloud on AWS pretty much instantly. Now, what I've been working on recently is kind of an an additional feature to that service. And one of the the limiting factors of disaster recovery as a service on its original inclination is um, the customer needed to be running on uh, Datrium DBX storage, which is fine for existing customers. That was easy for them to make that transition. But for customers that had storage arrays, you can't just go out and say to your CFO, can I just have another storage array? Because it's not cheap and you've got contracts in place for existing storage. So it's yep. a little bit of a limiting factor for Datrium in trying to get new customers in. So we thought, okay, well, how do we how do we change this? And basically what we've just released, I think possibly maybe this week, if not, maybe next week. <laughs> Don't hold me to that. Um, yeah. Is is an extension to our DRAS services, um, which is a, a feature called our connector appliance. So what this connector appliance will do is it allow any vSphere customer, regardless of what storage you're running, um, to be able to back up their workloads into Datrium's cloud and then with a hit of a button, fail over their workloads into VMware Cloud on AWS. So you're no longer required to have Datrium storage. Any, any vSphere customer can use this. Cool, so it obviously cool. opens up uh, a lot more customer base to us. And mm-hmm. all the customer would need to do is just download an OVA into their Visa environment, register it with our, uh, our cloud orchestrator service, which is called uh, Control Shift, and basically create backup policies for their workloads which are running on-prem. The backups of those virtual machines get sent to our cloud backup service called Cloud DBX. And then when you need to fail them into VMC on AWS, essentially what we do is we collect, we connect our Cloud DBX straight onto the ESXi hosts within the SCDC within VMC, and we then um, bring on the VMs pretty much instantly at that point. So it's, is that uh, is that a one-way trip? Can you fail back if you need yeah. to back to on-prem yes. as well? 
Yeah, so basically, because that's, that's the thing that people often forget. Like in a disaster recovery, the whole thing is get the business up and running as quickly as you can. Right. Yep. Sometimes those disasters aren't necessarily disasters. It's like the, the guy in the colo kicked the cable out and everything thought it was worse than it was. Yep. So once you get your workflows there, it's like, oh, how do you get them back? But literally, it's just what we do is we have what we call disaster recovery plans, which are just plans of how you want to bring up your workloads in the cloud. Hmm. When you... You can either create a failback plan or once you've done a failover, you can click a button and it will create a failback plan for you. And then basically, when as soon as you're ready to bring the workloads back from VMware Cloud on AWS to on-prem, you click the failback button and it just does the reverse process, just brings the virtual machines back on, on-prem, copies the changes down that are what are made in the cloud to what you have on on-prem and you, you back to running again on your single site. So was, the, Go ahead. No, so it's, yeah, so it's, that's kind of what we what I've been working on the last couple of months is helping the engineering team do some testing, creating of what we have in Datrium is similar to what we have at VMware is a hands-on lab, which will allow prospective customers to actually use this product within a lab environment. It's all completely real. Like we have a real VMC SCDC that they deploy mm-hmm. and then they have virtual machines in a, in a vSphere environment in our colo that they back up and replicate to the cloud components. And they, they basically run through the whole end-to-end process of backing up VMs, failing them over, and then failing them back on-prem again. So, yeah. And does the customer have the ability, if they choose to, to just kind of leave it up in VMC and just leave it there? Or is that only yeah. fail-up, fail-back kind of scenario? No, yeah, once you, once you, once you fail over to them, essentially the VMs are just running in the, the SCDC within VMC. So if they decide, okay, well, this is this is nice. It's going to be too much work to bring back on-prem. We can just stay here and run in the, in the cloud. Mm-hmm. So um, they have their option to do that as well, of course. Yes. I mean, we call it a disaster recovery product, but essentially it's data mobility, right? Mm-hmm. But if you try and sell a data mobility product, people don't necessarily understand, like, why do I need data mobility? But if you kind of package it as disaster recovery, everyone's like, oh, I get it. But essentially disaster recovery is basically be able to get your data wherever you need it to be. So yeah, we can migrate your workloads from on-prem to the cloud. And what we'll also be releasing very soon as well, if you're already running in the cloud, so if you're running VMware Cloud on AWS, we can also protect your workloads running in VMware Cloud on AWS. And if there was a failure in that AZ, for example, we can then bring up your workloads in another AZ um, within VMC on AWS as well. So as long as it's a Visa environment, essentially we can protect those workloads and, and bring them up in a bit of a disaster. So. Yeah, cool. it's uh, yeah, it's it's quite a, a, an interesting product. It's amazing how simple we've made something look when it's quite complicated on the back end of what we're actually doing. So, yeah, and I, I love how it ties into uh, VMware Cloud on AWS, which, in my opinion, is not just because I work at VMware is an amazing thing. You know, if you look at that holistically, a lot of people are like, you know, price tag is is scary if they initially look at it, but the fact that we can enable some customers completely get out of the infrastructure business entirely, elastically scale when they need it, if, for example, like retail holiday season, that kind of thing, uh, scale their storage and their compute on demand on the fly like that is is huge. So that, that's, yeah. a, that's a pretty cool partnership. You can fail up into that, that system as well. Well, I mean, just to add to that as well is that you don't actually have to have the SDC running beforehand. So if you have a disaster and you don't have the SDC running, you can click the deploy SDC button, wait for the 90 minutes to two hours, whichever time that is. And then mm-hmm. at the moment the SDC is up and running, then you can fail over your workloads because yeah. your backed up workloads are running in the cloud. So if you're on-prem is a, you know, completely gone, it doesn't matter at that point. So you don't have to have the SDC running all the time if you don't want to. 
But if you still want to make use of some cloud um, cloud infrastructure there, you could have a smaller footprint in the SCDC. And then if you do need to fail over, you can then, as you know, quickly just add in additional hosts into your cluster, scale up, and then fail over the workloads into the, the SCDC there. Yeah, that, that was sort of my thought was like, do you, what, what level of VMC and AWS do you have to have in existence for this to really work? You know, so if you, yep. just, you don't have to have any part of it active, you just have to have no. more or less the your the Datrium portion of it yep. and account for that. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So as I mentioned, it's like as a service, so literally right. the customer does not need to have a VMC account. Okay. They do not need to have an AWS account. All they need to have is a Datrium account. Oh, okay. And then within the control shift UI, there's a literally a, an SCDC tab. And in there, this is where you can deploy your SCDCs. You just click, okay, deploy SCDC, give it a name, how many hosts do you want in it? What the networks do you want? It's very simple, this one page, and then just click deploy at the bottom. And then you just sit there and wait for it to deploy. And then once it's up, there you go, there's your vSphere environment. Hmm. And, so, that, and that's still all tied to your Datrium account. You don't have a separate VMC account. No, you do not need a separate VMC account or AWS account. Oh, Obviously, there are very... VMC accounts on the back end that Datrium manage right, for you, but right, you, right. Don't, you don't need that. Okay. We just, it's just like a one, one set. Well, that's that's seamless one account, to the customer. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah, so it just kind of helps streamline that process as well. So, so they don't have to worry about having an AWS account here with billing there and a yeah. VMC account there with billing there. See, and that's just all through. And that's one. good because I mean, that, 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 that's, you know, I could see yeah. that getting really confusing for customers if you didn't do that. Cause like, uh, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, and that's just cloud operations of data centers in general. Like, you know, having an Azure account or having a VMC account or having a native AWS account, you know, and some, most companies, most companies have multiple, you know, accounts within a service provider. And so it, you know, billing becomes like challenge number one. Um, so yeah, so if you're kind of abstracting some of that away, you know, that's, you know, that, that's, yeah. that, 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 I could see that as really being, yeah, the only go forward way to do it. So that's interesting. Yeah, so it's, it's, we're definitely doing some very cool stuff. Um, we just need to get the word out there a little bit better, more than we are right now. So um, especially with the introduction of our connector appliance, which is what I was just telling you about, I think that will hopefully... Uh, allow us to speak to a lot more customers than maybe that we could before. So uh, yeah, it's definitely exciting times. I think, as you were saying, Tony, VMC on AWS is mm -hmm. a very, very good service. Um, the fact that you can fail over all of your workloads into the cloud and still look like it's running on-prem, like you don't need to teach anyone new tools, new, you know, you're logging into a vCenter, right? You know how it will run. Exactly, you, you know the interface. Exactly, and the last thing you want to be doing in a disaster is trying to learn like yeah. AWS or something right. like that and trying to figure out how do I, like, okay, my, my machines are running back in the cloud. Or how do I protect them whilst they're in the cloud, right? In, the, in VMC, you know, you've got DRS, HA and usual stuff, right? It's not, you're not trying to go from one to another. You're just going from like to like and then like back again. Yep. No conversions. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's, no it's conversions or replatforming or any of that. No, no, just simple. Just copy your VMs over, bring them up. Once you're done, bring them back again. It's, 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 it's we want, yeah, exactly. It's just nice to keep it as simple as possible. Simon, one thing I'm, I'm curious about from your perspective, um, in the light of, you know, COVID-19 and all the stuff that's happened in the last three months, um, are you seeing where a lot of, you know, organizations have, you know, more or less gone into production with their disaster recovery plans and had to execute them um, or do things in that light of things where then all of a sudden they're finding gaps in their plans? Is that something that you're seeing? Um, so 
I don't typically speak to that many customers, which is okay. I don't mind it, but I don't necessarily <laughs> get to hear some of the stories. Okay. Um, but I think even without COVID-19, I think majority of customers that we speak with are ha- happy to admit that their DR plan is just not where it should be. They're not confident in it. They're worried that if they try and do a disaster recovery in their, in their current situation, it's not going to work. And I think that, so I don't think it's necessarily made any difference with the COVID-19 situation. I think it's just how it is. I mean, disaster recovery is is like an insurance, right? No one really right. wants to pay for the insurance because you might never need it. And that's the thing with DR. No one necessarily wants to have a second site that just sits there in case you need it because you may never need it, in which case you just, that money is gone. Hmm. So that's, that, that's something that we've definitely been saying is people are just not happy with their disaster recovery plan because it's complicated usually, or they don't have enough money to be able to have a second site that maybe matches the first site. They might just have old hardware that is now out of production. So they'll use it on the second site and hope, yeah. you know, kind of like how you, how you always keep your old phone around in case you yeah. lose your primary phone. Yeah, You've kind of got your DR phone, which yeah. it works as crack screen. The cable <laughs> maybe like doesn't work, but it kind of will get your apps up and running yeah. again. Yeah. And that's typically what we see no, with customers. I mean, and that's that that's true for like a lot of the small business stuff that I came out of. Where like, yeah, we bought a bunch of new new hardware for the primary data center, and all the old stuff just got shipped over yeah. to the other office and racked up over there. And right, you know, I mean, and then that totally makes sense yeah. because it's it's you don't have the money to spend on something that you might not use. So, so certainly with this solution, it will enable the, the the companies that maybe can't afford a second site to have that second site on demand provided by VMware Cloud, mm-hmm. and. One of the one of the very cool things that we have, kind of built into the system, is what we call continuous compliancy. So when you create your DR plans on how you want to fail over your workloads, every thirty minutes we do a check against your on-premises environment and the cloud environment to make sure that everything that you've configured in your plan is still in place. So you make sure that your data stores still exist, the networks are still correct, and if you happen to maybe delete a network or change a data store on-prem will flag within your DR plan that that is no longer compliant and you either need to change your DR plan to make it compliant or go back and make the changes back on on on-prem. Because what we're finding was that so many customers will on day day one will create a DR plan. Okay, this is how it will look and we'll be able to fail over with that. But IT environments change so quickly and so regularly that within a month or two, that DR plan is now completely irrelevant because the whole environment has changed. We've added new VLANs in, we've, we've changed where the VMs live and things. So it's hard for customers to keep up with the changes within the environment. So by having compliancy checks, we can let them know if if they were to fail over that, um, that DR plan now, they may have an issue because this data store is no longer available or that VM isn't in the folder where it should be. So we have this built into the system. So in theory, every time you hit that big blue button in our case, rather than a big red button, mm-hmm. Every time you fail over, it should be a guaranteed success that you'll fail over because we know that everything is in place and how it should be. So from a network perspective, does does Datrium, you know, in any across any of the stuff that you guys have, um, are there hooks into NSX at all and support for, you know, migrating security policies, you know, maybe from on-prem to VMC and AWS, that kind of a thing? Or is that not a, um, does that not exist? Not the, not the moment out of the box. I mean, if you wanted to, you could, you could use the PowerShell commandlets to do a lot of that stuff. Um, but not built into the product. So if there's if there's a way to okay, you wanted to configure things automatically when you bring up an SCDC from 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 scratch and you want to make changes to it, 
We don't have any of that automation built into the product yet, although I'm trying to push for some of that. Um, but there's no reason why you couldn't just use the regular tools to be able to take some policies or things that you have on-prem and then push them up to the cloud. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's sort of a, a gap that I've seen across really many, many disaster things is, you know, the security part of it is always sort of the afterthought in DR plan. Oh, yeah. You know, it's get, yeah. get it up and running first, you know, make it functional, and then the last thought possible is, okay, now how do we secure this now that it's running over here? Um, and so, yeah. you know, it's... You know, that's that that's what we that's what we in the NSBU like to, you know, portray NSX as that, you know, blanket solution because if you have two sites running, we can just lay everything on top of it and have your workloads security move with your workload and you then you don't have to worry yeah. about this stuff. Um so it's interesting though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, typically a lot of people will look at a disaster recovery like environment to be a temporary solution anyway. So they you know, they don't they don't foresee you running in VMware Cloud, for example, for a month to two months. They'll hope that you can fail over and then within a week maybe they've sorted out their on-prem environment and they want to fail back quickly. So a lot of the time it's like, well, hopefully in that that week of window, we won't have any security risks. Or enough. I mean, of course, like out of the box, VMware Cloud on AWS is secure anyway, right? You have to open up firewall rules in order to get things from the internet to access the workloads and things like that. So it's not like you put your VMs up in there and it's open to everyone. There are some restrictions in place to begin with, although it's you know it's not not ideal. Yeah. Cool. Um, and, and the other thing I'm I'm curious about with Datrium is, I mean, like you guys started as sort of a product business with storage on prem and that kind of thing. Now you're moving sort of the services side, and that's I think that's true for most technology companies. We're all kind of going to this as a service model or subscription model. Um, yeah. Is that sort of like do you see the 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 old way of the you know on-prem storage thing going away? Is there is it kind of doing that shift like like everywhere um, else and across the industry? I don't see the on-prem stuff going away. I just see that cloud services, which is kind of where we're seeing ourselves now, is more of a cloud services company rather than a storage company, is probably where we see a lot more people taking interest in other products. Okay. Like like even though like personally I might be a little bit biased the DVX the the, the Datrium storage system is extremely advanced most people already have a storage array or they're already used to a brand of storage array and they're not really that worried about changing it as long as it can do what they need it to do yes Datrium may be able to offer things that like better performance maybe or other things that they can get from it but a lot of the time it's like well my current storage array is, is fine for what I need I don't necessarily know if I want to try and go to a different product or try and learn who's so it's kind of hard to get into that uh into that market and that's what we found so but one one thing to kind of highlight here is that this the software that runs on our dvx system that does all of our cool stuff within storage array is what we're running in the cloud as well so it's not like this is a whole new product we've mm-hmm. basically taken the software that runs in the on-premises side of things and made that run in the cloud so we get all of the good dg compression stuff that we have on on-prem actually in the cloud itself as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a big change in terms of the company. So I said, as I said, I've been there for two years. When I joined, it was very much a storage company, yeah. DVX system. And we just brought out our cloud DVX, which is like our offsite backup. And now we're literally a full cloud services. We don't sell hardware at all. We're a full software company now. The, the hardware that our DVX system runs on is purchased through a third party now, not through us okay. anymore. 
yeah, so we've kind of pivoted away from being hardware to completely software only, as you say, subscription-based model. Yeah. Everything is like, you know, subscribe to it for a year, three years, or however you want. And it's, uh, it's, it's been a big change and it's like completely within the business as well. You see, when you join, the, 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 the technical salespeople are very good on the storage side of things because that's what they've done. They've come from like Nimble, they've come from like all different companies, so then they've always had a storage array background. But then as we pivoted to more cloud services, that they were trying to adjust their skills to kind of think in a different way rather than just thinking bits and bytes and how much DG compression you can get. It's like, okay, well, understanding how workloads migrate and why customers might want to do disaster recovery. So it's been a really big pivot for the whole company, right? Um, which has been really exciting because I, I had to learn new technology when I joined and then kind of going back to some of my cloud stuff now. And it's like, it's yeah, it's, it's been yeah. a, a well, bit of a whirlwind. Which... That's startup life, I think, really. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you've kind of got a pivot to where the... To where the the use cases are and when where the money is i guess i suppose and we yeah. think that this is the way we want to head yeah well and, and that's that that was what before i joined vmware my brother heath who's been in vmware for almost five mm -hmm. almost five years now um he his, his kind of advice was just like you know you're gonna get in here you'll be you'll be doing something for a little for maybe a year or two and then everything will change on you so like as long as you're okay with that you're you'll be fine <laughs> like like it's just the nature yeah. of being in a software company it changes either you know quarterly or at least annually if not every two years for sure so like, yeah that's, just that's be, been my experience yeah, just be be ready for lots and lots of change yeah i personally i love that though it keeps you on your toes all the time right you know? mm -hmm. i i'd rather be i'd rather that than just be like oh well okay it's the same product we've had for the th same three years nothing's really changed we just maybe changed a badge on it or something and yeah. No, it's it's nice that all this new technology keep coming out, and you have to keep up with it and understanding it, and it's it's definitely why what I enjoy a lot. Yeah. And I enjoyed that at VMware as well, just learning all the new technologies. But I think like when I joined VMware, it was like 2010. You, at that point, you could probably understand all of the technologies that they had, all the different products they had, but because they maybe had like 10, 15, but by the time I left, it was like 80, oh, 90 products. So it's like, we just, you, yeah. they, they just announced an, another uh, NSBO acquisition yesterday yep. that I now have to learn about. Yeah. Last time or something, was that last <laughs> time? Or line, something? Line, line raid? Line, line. You're, you're uh, prescient to the choir. I am on the la core last, side last, now. The last line, I think is what it's called. That's it. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's great, but it, at some point it becomes overwhelming trying to keep up with everything. And I think now at VMware's got to the point where you have to just specialize in certain areas yeah, now. You last can't line. just be there you go, last line. But I suppose, Tony and Core, you need to know a bit about everything. Yeah, uh, that that's a big transition. You know, I came from being an HCI specialist mm -hmm. and and moving over to the core, needing to know a little bit about everything and know when to bring in your specialists. It's been a, a transition of kind of tr flip into the other side of that that equation so mm -hmm. um i completely agree and i i think the the really cool thing about being in technology like this is the fact that you were mentioning that it is always changing that's fantastic for us because that's going to drive interest customers you know the hot new thing that's coming out that's really interesting thinking all of all the cool possibilities how you can take advantage of our technology and how it might help our customers that gets them excited it gets us excited and it helps you know drive the business forward so definitely a good thing yeah, yeah, definitely. but there. On the flip side of that, there are also customers that just do not want change. They just want the same thing, <laughs> yeah, over and over. And there was a, there's a lot more customers out there than I and thought that would be the case that are in that situation. They're like, nope, this is what we've got. We we don't need to change. We don't all need all this new stuff. It's fine. Mm -hmm. just leave it. 
It's like, whereas obviously us with technologists, part of the VMware community, we, we, we love all the new techs. We like to understand and yeah. try and push the boundaries. What can it do for us? And other people are just happy just doing what they do. Yeah. As a customer, I was constantly getting involved in as many VMware betas and yeah. constantly testing as many things in my labs as I could because I just love being on the bleeding edge. It's fun. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's, definitely. It's fun until it breaks. <laughs> yeah, but, in, but the, there is that. in the lab, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. But I, I did find out the other day that there are customers that still haven't virtualized yet. Oh, sure. For sure. Yeah. And it's just, uh, that's, yeah. I know it's weird, but it's just like, wh- why? Yeah. Like, I don't, maybe they don't need to. I mean, it makes sense. So you right. don't just do it when you need you're... to, but it's just weird because we've been doing it for so many years. Just... Yeah. Well, there's still some vendors out there that insist that their products don't run on virtualization. So, and that, yeah, that was one of those. Yeah, <laughs> that was one of the reasons, right? And it's like, oh, yep. People, people still don't virtualize. <laughs> That's yeah. I mean, I'm guessing maybe in ten years' time, it'll be like people still running on prem. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah, I don't maybe, know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We'll get. We'll we'll, we'll see. That, Time that, will tell. And that's that, that's the thing that I'm curious about where we're going to end up in the next five ten years. Even is you know, I mean, I, I don't I don't foresee you know, local on premise data centers for certain organizations going away. You know, in total, I think things will be continually consolidating more. Um, but like for for most of my customers or healthcare customers, I mean, hospitals they're always going to have to have something on premise. I mean, they yeah. they can't risk a backhoe ten miles away cutting a fiber link to their data center and then not being able to service patients, you know? Absolutely. So it's, it's one of these things of for for certain sectors. I mean, it's, it's like what Pat Gelsinger talks about, you know, the, the three laws of, of data centers, you know, based on, you know, physics, economics, and, and everything else. I mean, it's, there's just not, there's just things that will have, that will be in play that will determine where your workloads have to live. And, yep. you know, so, and it's going to change based on laws of the land and all, and all those things that happen. So, yeah, it was interesting. I chatted to our CTO, who's kind of like the manager of our team, and he started to look at things other way, the other way now, in that maybe the cloud data center is their primary, and then then they'll have what we call edge sites right, as right, their right. kind of on-prem. Edge. So, yeah. like rather than being on-prem and then using cloud as like the remote one, the cloud is primary and the edge is actually uh-huh. secondary. Well, there, so was, like, there was a term flipping around full circle. There was a term a few years ago. Somebody was saying this was this is going to be the new next thing. It's called fog computing. And then, <laughs> yes, <laughs> we've gone from, I remember that. We've gone from the, we went from the cloud to the fog, and it's like you know yeah. all your edge all your edge devices basically we're going to create this massive data center brain trust because you know yeah. there's all the CPU power going unused in edge devices, and that's going to be your new data center in the fog. <laughs> You may laugh, but we're actually we're actually just announced that we're trying to do a, well. We're, we're working on an edge type appliance, not appliance, but it's like a way of be, be able to protect edge workloads and and replicate and back up to the cloud. Right. So uh, we 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 feel that there's as you say there's going to be areas where you just can't not have local hardware for whatever reason. It just makes sense to have some local processing power close for whatever reason, and it's like okay, well, you still need to be able to protect that workload and make it highly available. So it's, and I don't think that will ever go away just purely because of physics and things like if you have things running in the cloud and you need like quick access to them, is if it's going to go over internet connection, that's going to be slowing things down. So you, there's yeah. some cases you just have to have local processing power near it. And that's cool. not going to go away. I don't think. Cool. Well, that's, it's, it's, yeah. Very educate, very educational, Simon. Thank you for the Datrium update. 
Um, oh, it's been fun. I'm, yeah. I'm sure I missed a, a load of things, no, but it's, good. Uh, it's all good. You know, it's you, fun. Like, I'm like, enjoying like, it. That's well, like, like you said, you know, it's impossible to cover everything all at once, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. but I, I remember uh, like a couple, maybe a week or two ago, you started a, a large Twitter thread about working at home um, because you were expecting to be doing this even more so yeah. in the future. Um, yeah. And I, it, it went, got a lot of, a lot of people talking. Um, so, you know, we thought, oh, hey, let's talk a little bit about working from home. I mean, I, you know, since since we're starting, since starting my own business a few years ago, I mean, I've been doing it exclusively for a number of years, almost almost five years now. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm I'm certainly getting used to it. I the, the hard part for me is like I'm used to being at home for when I'm at home, but then getting out and going to customer sites and you know yeah. interacting with people that way and doing those kinds of things. But you know, maybe that's not going to happen so much anymore. So, like, what you know. Oh, is is there a typical day that somebody should follow when they're working from home, do you think? Or is it kind of just, you know, let your schedule happen to you? I, I think, like, for me, I my day is pretty much the same every day. Like, it, I ha- we have a team call at 9 a.m. in the morning. So typically what I'll be doing is checking emails before the team call, and we'll have a team call at 9. And then the rest of the day is obviously dictated by what workloads I'm I'm working on or what meetings I have. But then I'll typically try and finish at the same time at five o'clock at the end of the day and have lunch around 12.30. For me, it's very much every day is almost the same. Um, But for me, I don't have kids. So it makes life oh, a little yeah, bit easier than yeah. that. I don't have to do homeschooling and things like that. It's just like, yeah, I, that you know, I have a nice, yeah. it definitely does. Yeah. And that's one of the advantages that I definitely feel that from working from home without having to deal with kind of people coming in during meetings and that. So that for me, it, like working from home is not yeah. a problem at all. It's, it's actually been quite nice. So I don't, one of the things that I miss the most is actually the commute to work, which is quite random. Like it takes me about 50 minutes to get from my house to the <laughs> office. But that 50 minutes is like my time. Right, right. And I use it to listen to mostly podcasts, like on the way into the office and the way home. And since not being commuting anymore, I've basically my podcast listening has gone to almost zero because yeah. I don't have to have that time to sit down myself away from screens and my phone that distract me yeah. um, to be able to do that sort of thing. So it's, whilst I quite enjoyed working from home, I do miss the commute, which is something I never thought I'd ever say. Uh, that, that's part of the reason I went for like a 25 mile bike ride on Sunday was just so I could catch up on some podcasts. <laughs> right. Yeah, <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah. I need to get out of the house. I gotta go for a bike ride. I'll be back. <laughs> because it's, it's weird but when you're in a house it's hard to listen to podcasts because there's always some other distraction going on and i think driving yeah. is yeah you're driving and that's a distraction itself but you can kind of listen and drive and not really think about too much else but if you're at home and you got the tvs are on the kids are around the wife's asking what you want for dinner and your phone's bleeping and stuff you just don't there's no quiet time to sit down and listen to that type of content unfortunately and that's what i really miss yeah, I agree. Uh, I was doing a lot of airline travel in my old role, obviously before, before the lockdown and all that stuff too. And you're mm-hmm. in an airport, you're listening to the music or a podcast, you're on a flight, you're listening to podcasts or music, you know, so many different aspects. And it, it is so much harder. I, I've listened to zero uh, since being stuck at home for the last six months. This just means that once we get back to normal again, there's a lot to catch up on. Yeah, we'll never catch that's up. The that's the way I'm looking at it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, now you kind of have to pick and choose what you want to catch up on, but there's still plenty of stuff to catch up on. Yeah. Which is, yeah. well, and that's why so they'll always be there. Yeah. Since we haven't really put anything out, Tony, then there won't be that much for people to catch up on for us. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, I'm wondering why that's what I haven't really done too many podcasts myself is because I'm not really listening to any. I'm assuming that other people aren't listening to any. So what's the point in doing one right now? Maybe I'll just wait until people start listening to them again. I'm not, I'm not sure. Any. There was the, uh, I'd have to dig this up, but there was a, an, a, a somebody in Australia put put together this ad of like a bunch of Australian like famous podcasters and basically the whole point of this like you know public service announcement was i know you really were you're, you're bored you're stuck at home right now but please don't start a podcast <laughs> <laughs> no nobody cares what you think don't do this you know there's just it goes on for like 2 minutes of all these people like basically just imploring people not to start a podcast right now there's a lot of podcasts around now there's there's some really good ones and there's some other ones that i mean i i use podcasts a lot for like fantasy football i being in being english i don't know a lot about american football so i, I got invited to a fantasy football and i was like no i don't even know who these players are who am i drafting <laughs> and things. so literally i did not know anyone who i was drafting but I used like the po- times listening to podcasts to try and help me understand who the players I should be picking up are right, and, right, and that sort of thing. And it basically, I kind of learned a lot just from just listening to podcasts and that sort of thing. So I don't necessarily always just listen to tech podcasts. I actually kind of try and listen to things that maybe are outside of what I do at work as well to try and just give myself a break from work from from time to time as well. Yeah. I was curious where you're going to go with that. If there was actually a thing as like a, a, a British football fantasy football, I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> yeah, no, there's definitely, there's, there's, it's called a fantasy premier league. It's ah, okay. really big. Okay. It's, it's big in, in everywhere and around the world, probably apart from the U S yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but there's like a 6 million players this year, at least this season, I think on the, on that fantasy premier league. So, right. um, like, but yeah, I, the, the funny thing was, I didn't have a clue about the US fantasy football, but somehow I managed to win my little fantasy league. And then, oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then last year as well was the second year, and I won it again. So I'm not, I don't know whether I go third time. <laughs> nice. I, mean, I don't know whether I go third time lucky this year or just can't, I just say, let's say I'm done now and just have to let see the what, win. Yeah. We'll just cross our fingers. We'll have, a, have an NFL season this yeah. year. But, yeah, I mean, I, and being in Indianapolis now area, I've got to like start like I've I've always been you know uh, an indie racing car motorsports type mm-hmm. type of a guy, but but now more than ever, I feel like I have to like start paying attention to that stuff because like it's on the nightly news and you know here in town where they talk about you know the IndyCar series coming back and all the things that are happening with that, and it's just like oh man, this is like it's it's really in the water down here. But <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I I really enjoyed my tour of Indianapolis Motor Speedway that I did with. Uh, Frank Deniman and Neil Sogort a couple of years ago, right before the NDV mug, that was fantastic. And they were telling us basically that if you have any hopes of getting any decent seats for the race, forget it. Cause it takes like 10 plus years to get any kind of a decent seat, 20 wow. years. That's how booked the thing is for season wow. tickets, et cetera. But I'm yeah. hoping that in, I'm hoping that Indy comes back because I wanted to take my son to his first Indy car race, which is supposed to be at Road America here in Wisconsin, the end of June. So I'm hoping things open up. Yeah, they're doing the 500 uh, end of August, I think. They, okay. they pushed it back, yeah. But I, I, I believe it's going to not have anybody in attendance. Yeah, they're just yeah. they're just running just like NASCAR right now. They're running races with empty stadiums. Hmm. So and the same for Formula One as well. Yeah, Formula One starts in July as well, but no fans. Yeah. So t- yes, Tony and I's I claim to Tony and I's claim to fame with Formula One is we, you know, hopped a fence and and saw uh, the which could have could have been 
Schumacher running around the Italia, the Ferrari test track in Marinella. Not confirmed. Not confirmed. We don't know that it was him. We don't know, yeah, if it it was, the... we don't know if it was Michael Schumacher or not, but we were there when, you know, they were running the car around the private test track and they were on the Ferrari facility for like a good hour. Fiorano. Fier- oh. Yeah. It was... Uh, That's very cool. You was... should, even if it wasn't him, you should just say it was. Oh, I know. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's, such a better, it's, it's a lot better story yeah. than like, it might have yeah. been him, might not. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's Schumacher. Yeah, totally. Oh, it's totally Schumacher. It had to be. Yeah. We just couldn't catch up with him. He was too fast. I can tell by his downshifts. Yeah, I will never forget that day because Britton and I were in, and basically it was like this whole Italian car tour thing that we were doing this vacation for. And we we come into Marinello that day, and we were not expecting to hear the F1 car. We come into town, and all of a sudden you just hear that. Yeah, just. Oh man! I mean, like throughout the whole town, it sounded like music to a gearhead. It it just sounded so phenomenal. Uh, it was it was wild. It's a nice sound. I still can't. We got some. We I got know. some old mini DV footage of it somewhere. I can't find it anywhere. I don't know what happened to it. Oh man! I don't know if you have it or who's got it, but I've looked too. Uh, That'd be sad if we lost it. Yeah, I haven't been able to find to find the footage, but but yeah, that was that was good times. All right. Anything oh. else that we need to cover? I had a, I had a question for you, Simon, um, mm-hmm. going back to the work at home setups. So some of the pictures that I saw that you had like multiple camera setup, you had a camera behind you, you're starting to do a bunch of stuff. What's your work at home setup like? So basically I put all that together to, to do a VMUG recording for the VMUG virtual connect next week. I decided gotcha. to some down to do a session, but I thought I'm going to try and change up the session rather than presenting slides. I actually, mm-hmm don't do any slides. It's literally just me talking to the camera or live demos. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of just trying out, okay, what's the best way of doing it? We, I, I got a lot of the uh, the media equipment from the office because it's not being used there. And I was trying to figure out what was the best way to kind of capture front on and then side on and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up just using, I got a Logitech Brio webcam. I ended up just using that camera to shoot most of the video rather than the actual SLR camera that we had just was easier and a lot less hassle to try and get it all queued up and yeah it just ended up being a lot easier so the setup i've got here is pretty basic i've got just a laptop with two 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 screens basically and then i've got a sit-stand desk which is like a lifesaver oh, i love totally. my sit-stand desk yeah which one do you have i got the fully uh fully yeah, that's what i've got too i think it you, fully jarvis Yes, I think you, you maybe knew who recommended it. I think a lot of people recommended it fully to me, you know? and I bought it before we were work from home, and because I had one originally, and it was quite an old one from the UK, and it was it just needed to be replaced. So I bought this, and it's yeah, I can't say enough. If you if you could sit down a lot of the day, definitely get a sit stand desk and just try and stand maybe half of the day, and it just helps everything. Um, even just on calls and things, I find that I've got more energy standing up than sitting down. Yeah. When I sit down, I start to just kind of relax and kind of drift away. Whereas I'm standing up, I'm a bit more alert, I suppose. Yeah. Depending upon how I'm presenting or what I'm presenting remotely, I like to do it standing up if I can. Um, just cause like, yeah, it helps kind of keep you a little bit more interactive and almost makes it, almost makes it like you're a little bit present, you know? Yeah. yeah i mean what, what i was trying to get from that that twitter feed uh that twitter thing that i was asking questions around is not necessarily on what what gadgets 
people have because that's typically how, how it went anyway as like everyone started telling me what gadgets they had and how <laughs> yeah. big the screens were it was more about the actual whole environment like what can you do to the environment to make it feel more of a, a nicer area to work in because one of the things that i do now and i haven't right now because i'm on the podcast with you is i have a sonar speaker in the corner and i literally have music playing throughout the day which is just something that kind of just takes away the silence of working from home because normally in an office you hear other people talking people on calls and people moving around is whereas if you're just at home on your own, it can be quite quiet. So I always try and have some music playing in the background. And I was just trying to get some ideas from other people of what they do to try and make more of the office environment kind of more comfortable for them rather than what gadgets they use yeah. that they don't really need. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I found that so far, like day to day in and out, like admin type work I'm doing sitting down. But if I'm presenting to a customer, I have to stand up. I, th- I find that I think better. I'm, I'm thinking through processes better. I'm thinking through the technology better. And like Britton said, I'm just more alert and it just seems to work better. It feels more professional as well. Like you're, yeah. um, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's just, I have to be standing when I'm presenting to the customer. Yep. And I'm a, I'm a bit of a walker as well. Like, yep, me too. Uh, when I'm on a webcam, I'm standing still, but normally I'd be like just walking up and like around maybe doing some stretches or something, just trying to loosen up the hips or whatever whilst I'm on the, like the calls. And it, it's being standing up allows you to just kind of move around a little bit as well. Whereas if I find it, I'm sitting down on the meeting, I've got so many screens and I'm always just like, oh, check Slack to see a little red icon pop up. And then, then suddenly someone asks you a question, you have no idea what they just said because you've just gone <laughs> off. Distracted. Yeah. I find it helps keep Squirrel. me a bit more focused. Exactly yeah. that. And so it's keeping me focused ball. a little bit more. Yeah. It's weird though, isn't it? How it just standing up makes the difference. Yeah. And, and walking for me too. I mean, um, prior to, to landing back at VMware, I was doing a lot of interviewing and Mm -hmm. it was the same story. And when I was trying to think and I was trying to, you know, answer these highly technical questions for these interviews, the only way that I could actually seem to process and understand and be coherent was just to walk and talk. And that made it Mm -hmm. much easier for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, do you find that you're pacing the same square or something? like, it's never really just random. It's always the same thing. <laughs> yep, I don't know why that is. It's like a line. Yeah. It's very strange. I don't know what it is, but it's, I'm sure there's some psych, psychology behind it, but it's normally just walking a little square or something. It's, it's like country music logic when they're always saying they're walking the floor over you, that kind of stuff. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. But I've, I've actually quite enjoyed working from home. I think like the our office will open soon. But because I don't need to be in an office and there, I think there's a lot, they will have restrictions on how many people we can have in the office to begin with. I think we'll, uh, what I'll do is I'll allow the people that would prefer to be in an office because of distractions at home and things to go in. And then eventually I'll go in at some point in the future. So I thought, well, I'm probably going to be here maybe till the end of the year, at least let's just try and make my time at home a bit more comfortable. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was just trying to get a few ideas from other people and what they do. One of the good things is like, kind of like a couch away from the desk so if you ever do if you ever on a webinar um i normally like i screencast them to the tv so i can then sit back away from the computer and then watch yeah. like uh the webinars as well away from the screen because if i'm on the screen again i'm looking at slack messages coming through emails coming through but whereas if i'm sitting back away and watching on a big screen i can then pay a bit more attention to what's happening so yeah Little I, things like that will help I, me a little bit. I, I had to do when we they moved our our internal sales kickoff to a vir- fully virtual mm-hmm. before everything yeah. locked down, and 
like that's that's how I watched most of that content for that week was just you know streaming it on the Apple TV, you know sit up sit you know but try to put stuff away and just you know be be yeah. as present as possible for some of that stuff and it was really nice. Um, and I've thought about trying to do something like that in my new office space up here, but it's a, it's kind of tight quarters and my my the biggest problem I'm running right into right now with where I am is like at my other house in Wisconsin, my office was down in the basement. And it was just really cold all the time down there. And now I have the reverse problem where I'm on the second floor in, in the office above the garage. And it's just oppressively hot in this office all the time. <laughs> so I have to yeah. have my door open in order to get any ventilation because this the, the HVAC in this house is awful. And thank God yeah. it's not, we're only renting this place. So we'll be out of here hopefully relatively soon. <laughs> but, but it's just like, you know, I, I can't just have... A nice like this is this is this is the nice thing about being in an office like before when I was in an office like yeah it's temperature controlled you know you can have a break room and you know like there's things to do snacks on tap yeah coffee on tap like, right mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I do miss that I like I miss the date room snacks that we have in the office yeah. and and they also have cold brew as well I miss that like so I, I, been doing I, was, I was I was like an hour into a two hour NSX presentation I was giving the other day and. My wife was gone. She was up to the other house. And so I'm here with the kids and like, you know, partially to all of a sudden the, the, my door opens and my one daughter's just like, Daddy, I need some help with this thing. And I'm like, can't right now. <laughs> you know, just give me a minute. I'll be right there. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Thankfully we didn't have video on for that, but you know, it's just another, thing, yeah. another thing that I'm trying to do too, is I'm trying to stay uh, with exercising. So mm-hmm. I have a, a bicycling simulator set up over on the other side of the room uh, when the weather was cold. Now that's my bike is outside. I've got a total gym set up in here so that I can try to take a break at least once a day and get some exercise in because otherwise I find even if I'm standing, it's not enough exercise and I'm you know in here for seven, eight, nine hours a day. I don't want to be just sitting and standing at a desk and yeah. feel like I'm tethered. Well, I've had so to move it, my it helps bike up a lot. here too. Yeah, exactly. It helps getting that little bit of an exercise break. Yeah, and you could stick that bike in front of your monitor and just watch a webinar whilst you're on the bike, right? You could exercise an hour's <laughs> worth of exercise right there, and you're working at the same time. It's perfect. Who needs a Peloton? Right. Exactly. Except, except all of a sudden you'll like get a question and you'll just be like, <sighs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be hilarious. You have to adjust this <sighs> sweating. <laughs> So just on on the subject of like watching webinars and things, obviously there's just a ton of them at the moment because there are no conferences and everyone's trying to figure out a way of engaging people. For me, I find it very difficult to stay engaged on webinars. So yeah, I mean, having them on the TV helps, but I I see them all come through and I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. I wouldn't mind listening to that. When it comes down to, I normally end up not seeing it live and then thinking, okay, I'll go back and watch the record of it. And you never watch the recording. Never do. Yeah. Some of them I try to, but it's just like, I don't know. I, I think because a lot of them are scheduled during your day of work and because mm-hmm. you're still kind of at the office, it's hard for you to take that time. Whereas if it's like a VMUG, you're away from the office, you're at, at a different building and it's different. I just yeah. find it very difficult to to take the time away from my normal work schedule to watch webinars right now. And it's, it's a shame because there's a lot of good content out there, but I just, I don't know. Like VMworld is going to be weird for me because, you know, we're all used to being there and being in person and sitting in there and watching sessions and things, but this year it's going to be virtual. 
I don't know how much of it I'm going to be paying that much attention to, which I don't know. Hopefully I'll come up with something very cool that'll make it really engaging and be different and it'll be like a nice experience. But right now I just find it difficult to really focus on uh, the webinars. It's it's definitely going to be an interesting conference season Mm. just, just on that aspect alone. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, I, I think a lot of people are really hoping that by 2021 things are more open and we can do more of this stuff and, you know, we can yeah. actually see each other again. So Simon, I, I, again, we're going to think we need to wrap up here because we're just about hitting time. Um, so I appreciate you coming on and this has been very insightful, very educational and fun all at the same time. So I appreciate it. Sir. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you guys for, for having me on. I much appreciate it. And Definitely how, let me know if you have any slots going forward. I would happy to join you again. Cool. Uh, how can people find some of your stuff online? Uh, so on Twitter, uh, you can find me at Simon Long underscore. Uh, my blog is simonlong.co.uk or just Google Simon Long. Um, they're probably the two best places to find me. Twitter, I'm on there all day, most days, like a lot of us in the VMware community. So that if you need to get me, get in contact with me, that's the best place for it. But cool. just, yeah, you can Google me. If you Google Simon Long, if it's the removal company, that's not me. Otherwise, it will be me. <laughs> a, in the UK, there's a company called Simon Long Removals. And uh so like every time Removals. someone sees one of the what, bands on what are they removing uh, uh so basically like u-haul it's oh, like a u-haul okay, company okay i got it uh, I don't know what you, uh, yeah movers i guess I mean, we call them removals in the uk <laughs> but, uh, every time someone sees them on the vans they take a picture of it and send it to me because it's got like simon long in big letters on the side <laughs> and nice and I if you google it it either comes up with me or comes up with the simon long removals that's funny all right nice. yes yeah. so, all right i'm gonna play but, us yeah. out and then uh, we'll wrap up with you offline okay Once again, it's been GigaCast episode 38 for June the 5th, 2020. Thanks again to Simon Long for joining us. Um, I'm working on getting a regular set of guests coming back into the show now that I have my studio back up and running. Um, Don't forget to check out the Tech Breakfast podcast. Tony was on there once with our good friend, Mr. Aaron Bewley and Mr. Tyler Gates. That's a good one as well. Um, Check out Simon Long's VCDX podcast. Um, lots of content everywhere, you know, throw your friendly podcasters a listen right now as we're all still stuck at home and, uh, we'll catch everybody later and hopefully we'll be coming at you again more regularly. Thanks again, everyone for listening. We'll catch you later.